1: Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland.
0: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day Sale
1: at burrowcom ACAST. That's borough.com slash acast. Borough.com slash acast.
0: I had said mass at five o'clock that morning, knowing in my heart and soul that it was probably going to be the last mass I'd ever see. I would get a phone call and would be told then what to do with the million and a half uh, to hand it over. For, for five or six years, I, I, I really lived in, in fear that it was going to be attacked uh, by him or his gang.
1: I'm Nicola Tallent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld, in Ireland and across the globe. Former businessman Jimmy Mansfield Jr. went to jail this week, convicted of attempting to pervert the course of justice by directing that CCTV footage be destroyed. The conviction centres around the kidnap of one of his late father's employees, Martin Byrne. And while Mansfield Jr. was acquitted of involvement in the abduction... Six men, led by terrorists, Desi O'Hare and Declan Wacker-Duffy, have been convicted. And a judge has said that Mansfield knowingly engaged them to help recover his assets, lost in the 2008 economic crash. At the heart of the Mansfield trial was the story that Byrne told in the witness box of the day that he came face to face with O'Hare, and how it changed his life for good. But who is Desi O'Hare? And what other lives has he touched in a five-decade criminal career? Today, I'm talking to celebrity priest father Brian Darcy about his dealings with O'Hare during the kidnap of his friend, the dentist, John O'Grady. He tells me an incredible story that has stayed with him all his life and he relives the day that he too believed he was set to become a victim of the Border Fox. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Brian, I was I was recently attending the trial of Jim Mansfield Jr. in the Special Criminal Court, and I spent quite a few days at it. I was very interested in it, and uh, there's a state witness there, a, a man called Martin Byrne, who's in the witness protection program now. He was once the head of security in City West, and he is the guy who was kidnapped in 2015 by Desi O'Hare and Declan Wacker Duffy and another gang of five of their henchmen. And uh, he was, you know, he was was terrorised and that is the reason he's in the Witness Protection Programme. But I was listening to him telling his story and it just struck me. He, he came out with the line and it just stayed with me. He was talking about the day that Desi O'Hare kidnapped him and he came face to face with him. And he said, that was the day that changed my, my family's life and my life forever. Desi O'Hare, he's had that effect on, on quite a lot of people. And I know you and I have talked before. I, I, I find this story fascinating. And, um, I want you to tell it to us again about how you came into the world of Desi O'Hare. Yeah, I I probably
0: always knew about Desi O'Hare. He had a reputation of being the Border Fox, as he was known, not as Desi O'Hare, which is an indication of a very good name for him. You know, he was always, he had joined various organisations, as you probably know, um, and um, was asked to leave some of them and then founded up his his own organisation, which... I'm not so sure what they did, and I wasn't interested in what they did, but it wasn't good anyway uh, at that time. Um, and he was a very much a feared man, um, um, not only by the Gardi, but he was feared by many of the people that he used to work with at that time. I discovered later um, in my life. But one day, anyway, um, it happened that uh, I got a phone call from uh, uh, what, who was a friend of mine, Austin Dara, Professor Austin Dara. Uh, whom I knew, and and uh, we had worked together on radio and so forth, um, and um, we used to do a thing called Body and Soul. I did, he did the body, and I did the soul. Right. Um, maybe we could look at for something like that for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll have to work out who's who there. Uh, but Austin, uh, I had been in contact with the family because their son-in-law. Um, John O'Grady who uh, was who married to Austin's daughter um, um, had taken over the house where Austin and his wife used to live in and uh, up near above Cabin T.D. Fox Rock area of Dublin uh, and um, they Austin and his wife had moved to Tara um, where they had horses etc etc um, and and uh, Dunn's Hospital was, have to have been taken over uh, and Austin Dara was one of the people who was in it. So there were all sorts of figures mentioned in papers about how many millions this had cost. And obviously that had impressed Desi O'Hare and his group uh, and they decided to kidnap Austin Dara. Uh, but they didn't know that Austin Dara had changed house and that it was in fact his... Asen Dara's daughter and son-in-law with their family uh, was the
1: house that they went into, um, and and we're back here, Brian, just to set the scene. We're back here in 1987, I think it, it is. Yeah, yeah, 87.
0: Throughout, uh, it was the 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 autumn of 1987, um, and mm. um, there was a. Everybody was horrified at this, that a, a man, uh, it was secret for a while, but that, that a kidnap had taken place. But then it got out that the kidnap ha- had taken place and the whole country was on alert and it had gone on for weeks at this stage um, and um, uh, alleged sightings of John O'Grady and um, they they had taken it that the Border Fox was the man who had kidnapped him. So he might have actually said this. And But he started sending notes To the O'Grady family uh, and to the Dara family, that he wanted um, one and a half million uh, um, in used sterling notes. Hmm. And he had, uh, he stated that it had to be in 20 pound notes and 10 pound notes, used sterling notes. And he wanted a million and a half. Um, And he had sent a note which they, which they hadn't got, but what he, he thought they were ignoring. Uh, and um, he had sent it to the wrong place. He had left it under a, a statue um, and uh, uh, in a church uh, and it was supposed to be in Limerick and then it was supposed to be in Carlow and then it was supposed to be a statue of St. Joseph and they looked on there was no statue of St. Joseph in the particular church that they were looking at. He had got his saints mixed up but eventually they got a note um uh with it um and um, it was a note with uh, uh, in which uh, the tops of john o'grady's fingers had been chopped off um uh and uh, and,
1: and left in a left in a cathedral in the cathedral
0: underneath a statue mm. with a demand for this and it's, if he didn't get it by um 12 noon uh on midday of the 5th of november 1987 uh, that it would be, they would remove his legs the next time. Uh, and there was, uh, the Gardaí did not want the um, ransom to be paid, but, I mean, you know, it was, a million and a half that time was, in cash was an awful lot of money.
1: And specifically in in, in used sterling notes, I think there was actually a quote that was put around at the time um, that, that they had... The guards got a message saying, it's cost John two of his fingers. Now I'm going to chop him into bits and pieces and send fresh lumps of him every fucking day if I don't get my money.
0: I mean, that that,
1: that's, is, I, I have given you the, the, the
0: sanitized version of it. Um, there have, that's the real version. The version I got from the Dara, which is the only version I can talk about, was that they said they would cut his legs off beneath, beneath the knee uh, and send, send his legs uh, if the money wasn't there. And the, but I mean, even in
1: this day and age, if we think about that, even in this day and age, it is savagery beyond belief to to chop off a human being's fingers. I mean, yeah. the pain and the horror of that is just, it, it is really, I mean, people say all the time that things have got worse, that, you know, the the criminals that are around today are 10 times worse than they used to be. That is, to this day, chilling. It was it was absolutely shocking to me to, at that stage, especially since
0: he was a dentist, which which he meant that he would never be able to work as a dentist again. Um, uh, that's what he intended to do. And I subsequently learned that uh, the method of doing that was um, he had put a pillow in, um, in, in John O'Grady's mouth, uh, stuffed him with a pillow, and put one hand up on... Uh, a table or something of that nature, and chopped it off with a hammer and chisel, and did the same with the other one um, and uh, because John was medically qualified and had a dentistry uh, had a had a background in in medication, he knew that if he didn't get something to uh, uh, stop the bleeding he could have he could bleed to death, so uh, he took an um, a knife there was a, a a table knife and a one bar electric fire, and he placed the uh, knife on the electric fire and heated it up and cauterized each finger which actually saved his hand and his life it was, it was it was an awful thing to do to yourself but it was the only way he could save his life um and it, um I I knew John very well he was a gentle lovely man he's since dead he died of cancer quite young um and um he was a lovely lovely man um and um, um we became very close friends and on on the 5th of as it so Happened. I was asked, "Would I go and re- please, please? Would I go and try to intervene?" with that apparently there was some message somewhere along the line that I would be acceptable to the O'Hare gang that I wouldn't double cross them. Um, and uh, of course, I was acceptable to the O'Grady family and to the uh, Dara family. And 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 you know they knew that I wouldn't run off with the million and a half, even though ironically. I was actually looking for and trying to raise a million and a half to replace the roof on Mount Argus Church at that very time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it could have been quite handy. (laughs) There
0: there were quite a lot of jokes about it. Why are you asking us to raise money when you had it and the boot of a car and didn't use it (laughs) yourself? So that's about the only funny thing in all of this, actually.
1: Just to get clear there, Brian, Austin Dara had asked you, they had decided the family that they were going to pay this ransom money. They were so... I'm sure traumatized by the actual physical um injuries to John that they decided they were going to pay this ransom money the guards didn't agree but you were brought in as the middleman you were going to take the money
0: Yeah to th- that's the way it happened Desi. and, and it's it, 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 they they I got a phone call on Wednesday uh about I remember just before noon on Wednesday the 4th of November uh asking me would I do it and And i would had they gave me an hour to think about it, but the guards did tell me you know there's a very strong possibility that you won't come out of this alive because nobody who has an encounter with O'Hare comes out alive um and uh, uh well i said i said i don't need an hour i said yes I will do it if but uh, but uh, you know that's I will try my best and hope. You know, that come out alive. But I, I, what can a priest do? You're, you're supposed to be able to uh, dedicate your life for these causes. And that's why you're a celibate, because you don't have a family dependent on you. And what's the, you know, it's about the only time in, in my entire priestly life that celibacy uh, seemed to be the right thing uh, to do, because I had no dependence. And so I said yes and um, it was a strange strange thing uh, and, and, and the details and I was given what to do and I said I, I had to appear uh, the guards came up to Mount Argus from me and picked me up at uh, 6 o'clock on the 5th of November and I was brought down to uh, Dame Street underneath the Bank of Ireland and there they had already helicoptered a million and a half of staring down from the north, it was packed into seven cases and uh, they had it chained in the back of a huge uh not van, but a, a, a car with seats uh, taken out and and, and uh, sort of chained in the back of it um, and Um, I was sent off and I was told to make sure I was in uh, the Silver Springs Hotel in Cork uh, about 12 o'clock and at that time I would get a phone call uh, from um, O'Hare or one of his people and would be told then what to do with the million and a half uh, to hand it over. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't handing it over and and that John O'Grady would also be shot. I needed some assurance that I would meet this person uh, somewhere along the road, and and so that there would be some negotiation, and that, that he could get the money. But I needed a live John O'Grady to take with me, and um, I didn't know how that was going to happen. But uh, anyway, I started off at seven o'clock. So you
1: you set off you set off from Dublin yes. in a Peugeot car with one point five million sterling in the back, in seven suitcases, in seven suitcases in the back, and. What about phones? I mean, there was hardly mobile phones back in 1987, was there? Or how were you going to communicate?
0: No, there were no mobile phones at that stage. The the, the guards said they had uh, a a, a phone that could work uh, and that they would uh, try and give it to me. And it was a small suitcase uh, with a big box and a phone inside. And it was in the car. And I thought I was delighted. Now I have constant contact. This is high tech at its very best. Uh, and so they said they would ring me at various stages to see where I was on the road Uh, but they rang me and I by this stage got through the Dublin traffic and was on the road to Cork mind you the road to Cork was not as good as it is now I still had to go through Nace and all the rest of it hence the five hour journey uh, five hour time uh, to do it and I got out on the place and it was the morning that Eamon Andrews died the great broadcaster uh, and my mind I'd known Eamon very well and um, the, the 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 all the news and everything was about Eamon Andrews dying. Uh, but one of the newspapers had got hold uh, of the fact that I was to do this and made it very difficult for me indeed uh, because of the, 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 on it was on the late edition of uh, the paper, The Independent, as it all happened, uh, that mm-hmm. uh, Father Brian Darcy was on his way to Cork with a million and a half to pay a ransom. That was in the paper? Yes.
1: Sunday World wouldn't have done that to you? Uh
0: No. Uh, and, and I w- was not very happy about that now, to be honest. But, uh, I don't, nobody knows how it got out. Obviously. Somebody had leaked this information uh, and the paper had run it. It made my life very, very difficult because now everybody knew, knew. that Brian Darcy, who even in 1987 had a reasonably well-known face uh, uh, and had been 10 years writing for The Sunday World and more at that stage. So, I mean, I wasn't an unknown, um, as, as, which is the reason I was asked because I was well-known. Um, and, and, and down the road... I, I, we got. I got as far as the Green Isle Hotel uh, uh, on the nearest road as it was then um, and uh, tried the phone uh, and uh, it had reached its limit. Uh, there was no phone, <laughs> so the mobile phone... <laughs> So useless. So, did you get a feeling you were on your own? Yes, I did. I had said mass that morning in 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 a little oratory in Mount Argus, uh, which was the place where the famous holy man of Mount Argus, Father Charles of Mount Argus, now Saint Charles of Mount Argus, um, lived and died. And I had said mass at five o'clock that morning, knowing in my heart and soul that it was probably going to be the last mass I'd ever say. Uh, so um, uh, I, I then decided, no, that's the end of the nonsense, just concentrate on what you're doing. It's, it's not about you here. And so I had to concentrate, and it was going over and over into my head, how am I going to How am I going to negotiate it? What will I say? And if he says this and what, he says that, and I had to go through it. I had done an intermediary before, uh, in um, in a, in a number of 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 cases which hadn't been public uh, and which had all worked out well, um, uh, thank God, uh, and and so I was in my head, you know, knowing having a little idea how this is going to work. So I did that all the way down to Cork, uh, but one of the strange things that happened, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, Nicola, was that I was about an hour on the road um, and had the fatal thing before I left of taking a cup of coffee to keep myself awake and um, I then discovered I need to go to the Jacks real badly (laughs) and I discovered... I can't go to the Jacks. I can't get out of the car. I can't stop. I can't do it in the side of the road because there could be somebody there just waiting to pounce. Um, I, I can't go into an hotel because how can I leave a million and a half in a van, in, in, in a car? Uh, everybody, I mean, I just couldn't. So I, I had to burst myself. I hadn't even a bottle with me to do things. Uh, and uh, and I, 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 I'll tell you one thing. If you ever want to stay awake when you're driving, don't go to the toilet. You will not, you will not fall asleep driving (laughs) with an urgent need, with an urgent need to go to the toilet, Uh, uh, and um, I arrived in Cork.
1: So, what did you do? I mean, were by the way, throughout this, were you in disguise, or were you, you know, were you dressed as normal, or what? In those days, I always dressed
0: as a priest, uh, and uh, I, I went as a priest because I was that was my value. Uh, that I was known as a priest, you know, uh, and, and that there was a, a, a I was a, an honest broker as a priest, alleged. In those times they believed that priests were honest brokers, how things have changed in that way too. Um, and, and, uh, so, so I was an honest broker as a priest, and so I was dressed as a priest. And I eventually, I was told by the guard, the, look at, you're not going to be handing over money in Cork. You're going to be told in Cork there will be a, a, a phone call for you and it'll be short and brief and keep it. Brief. They will say F&B in Galway or somewhere by two o'clock or three o'clock or four o'clock. So get your car filled with with diesel or petrol before you do this. So I pulled into a, a, a filling station in Cork to do this. And of course, the next thing, the poor wee man comes out from the filling station in those days, because it wasn't self-service in those days, and he says, Ah, Father Brian, I see you're on your way to do a big deed. Of oh, course. <laughs> so he knew where I was going at the stage. Uh, and um, I tried to get the cap off the petrol tank of this machine. But it wouldn't come off. Everything kept turning and turning and turning and turning, no matter what I did. So he says, sure, I'll get inside and hold it. I said, don't get inside, because <laughs> there was a million and a half inside <laughs> in seven suitcases. So I blessed it. This is where now, this is where faith comes in. Uh, I had a relic of of the said Father Charles, St. Charles of Mount Argus, with me on this occasion. Uh, and I said, look, at Charlie, I've done enough for you. Now it's your turn to help me. And that was my prayer. And I said a blessing over the, over the case and your man turned the, turned the thing and there it was, the cap turned and I was able to fill it. Now, the ironic thing was that I was now 10 minutes late. And I, my horror was that John O'Grady would have been shot or lost his legs because I was 10 minutes late. As it so happened, as I was driving and turning into the Silver Springs Hotel that day, um, uh, then I had the radio on to distract me. I think it was a Mike Murphy show was on. That they interrupted Mike Murphy show to say that John O'Grady had been found alive in Cabra, Carrick Road. I think it was in Cabra, uh, and that, that there was a shootout, but they thought that he was still alive. So here am I. What do I do now? And the guards had said, "Whatever you do." don't change your plans because we can't keep trace of you if you change your plans. Stick to the plan at all costs. So that came into my mind. So I turned into the Silver Springs Hotel to find that there were two groups of Gardi there who didn't know there were two groups of Gardi, and I nearly had to stop. I did actually have to stop. I knew the Dublin guys because Mount Argus was the guard was the Gardley church. I knew them uh, and I knew there were guards, but there was another crowd jumped out of a hedge and they put up guard the signs and had to shout to them, these are guards as well, before they shot each other um, uh, or fired at each other. Now, it didn't come to that. I I roared at them, you know. Just a, uh, and I said, would you please, would you look after this while I go in to take a phone call? Uh, and uh, uh, to be honest, I went in and went to the Jacks first and then took a phone call. Um, um, and um, uh, so, th- so th- there was no phone call ever came. And to be honest, I didn't expect one. At that stage because the thing now my problem was what to do with a million and a half in Cork when the whole country knew that, that you had it Brother Brian Darcy was driving around in a white pugil car with a million and a half in sterling notes in the back of the car. And the garage wouldn't take it from me and the bank wouldn't take it from me. Um so I have phoned Austin Dara and I said to Austin, what am I going to do with this? Because don't forget the the rate, the interest rate was about 17% in it. And every second counted. It's the borrowed money. Uh, and Austin went to phoned the bank and said, The money is being left to you now and the interest rate stops now. And uh, uh, so uh, I that's what I did. And I I I uh, I I drove it to a guard station. I said, take it to a bank, and that's what it is. And that's the last time I saw the White Puget or the Million and a Half after that. Half. Um,
1: it's some story, just for those who don't remember, by the way, O'Hare escaped that day from that shootout in Cabra. Yes, He wasn't called the Border Fox for nothing. And he continued on the run until the 27th of November when he was caught in Kilkenny yes. at a checkpoint in Erlingford. And between that time, I certainly remember I was a child at the time, well, a teenager and... Take a few years of my life here, but i I do remember um going somewhere with my mother at the time in the car, and I was brought, i think as security for her because we were going somewhere out into the country, I know what she thought I was going to do, but the border fox was on the run at the time, and the whole country was terrified of this guy i mean absolutely terrified now we have that your story, I, I, I that story is incredible. I could listen to it forever. It's, it's the stuff of a movie, mm. a priest with a one point five million in the back of his Peugeot and a useless phone, and, and 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 your adventures along the way. And it's easy, I suppose, to make light of it at this stage. It's you know we can have a bit of a laugh, but the seriousness of it uh, and the seriousness of that individual Desi O'Hare. I mean, we speak sometimes about people being. Evil, being psychopaths, I think Desi O'Hare is somebody that has certainly been called both of those things. And to think that all these years on, that in recent weeks, I'm listening to somebody else, you know, describing their, their meeting with, with, with this guy still, he's 64 years of age now, but still he strikes terror in people. Do you still feel fear about
0: him? I do, yes. From eighty seven you're talking about and I presume that other incident would have taken probably about twenty seventeen. So add up what that is. Uh and he sort of he, he uh, he, he, he was caught and apprehended under very difficult circumstances there had been various shootouts if you remember there was a shootout in a village in County Louth uh, that they thought oh, something happened and the wife was involved in all of that and once again I was brought into that but I don't want to be involved in his wife in any of this but I mean I I had to Deal with with her right through that, and she was in protection, and I was visiting her and and trying to help things uh, as best I could. So I didn't get away with it just because I got home that day. Mm. Um, and I, I was really terrified that, day. and it had a fierce effect on me. It had a real big effect on me um, uh, because um, I, you know the fact that they come through it at that point didn't mean that you that I had forgotten it because. It was when I then heard about John O'Grady and he was in hospital and would he survive and would he be all right? And Martin O'Connor was the guard that was there that was shot on in, in Cabra. And um, in That's fact, right. in fact, for many years afterwards, on the 5th of November, we used to have the resurrection uh, dinner. Uh, John O'Grady, myself and Martin O'Connor, all three of whom were supposed to be dead. Uh, and so, and we used to have a dinner for it. We actually got to the 25th dinner of it. There was another man, Henry Spring, involved in it as well. Um, and we, he occasionally came uh, to it. Um, and, and, um, so it was a, John O'Grady never wanted to talk about it. And it wasn't really until the 25th anniversary of it that John said to me, what exactly happened that day? And I told my story and he told his story and Martin O'Connor told his story. And it was, we were not able to share it until 25 years after the event. And we, we had the kind of promise that we could tell our own stories but not anybody else's story uh, until those involved were dead. So John is dead now, and, and I, that's why I'm feeling a little bit able to talk about it, though I'm not given too many of the details that way because through the trial and everything else, most of the details became public anyway along the way and one of the ones was that uh, that um the there was things said in which indicated that i was actually uh double dealing o'hare on behalf of the guard that was totally totally wrong i was not and i didn't even the guards wanted to send a guard with me i said absolutely not i will do this on my own if I die, I die, but I don't want to be the cause of a garden, of a, with a young family dying. What's the point in that? And I insisted that there would be no Gardaí anywhere near the road or no Gardaí if we met in, in a place uh, in, to, to hand over the money and hopefully hand over the body. Uh, but as it so happened, um, some of the remnants of O'Hare's gang uh, said that or believed because of what they'd heard in the door, that I was somehow double-crossing them. And so afterwards, for a a minimum of five years, I I was still up and down the country, crossing the border, as I did. And occasionally at night, when I'd be coming home on my own on a a road, uh, um, a van would pull up behind me. I'd pull in to let it pass. It wouldn't pass. Um, I'd move at a high speed, it would still be held with me. And then eventually, on a corner or some stage of the road, it, the van would come alongside me and try to edge me off the road. That happened, I think, four to five times. Uh, and the Gardaí indicated that it was there. Occasionally, too, I used to broadcast every morning on 2FM, uh, and I, I used to get up early, 6 o'clock, um, quarter past six of us on the road out to RTE, but the guards had told me never get into your car without checking your wheels. And on two occasions, the front wheel, the front bolts of the car, uh, of the, the, the bolts of the front wheels of the car uh, were loosened, and there was left with one bolt on each side uh, of it. Um, so it was a dangerous time, and they did actually. One other occasion, uh, the car that I had, which was a Sunday World car, was wrecked outside Mount Argus, absolutely wrecked, uh, and the papers jumped to the conclusion that it was another man, the general Martin Call, who had done that, uh, because he had done it to other guard the cars, and they put the connection together that he was doing it to guard the cars, and now he was doing it to the guy who was rector of the guard the church in Mount Argus. But the strange thing was, and Father Charles comes in again, he was now being beatified. And what happened? They were taking his body, exhuming his, the remains from the church. And the church was closed. And that very day, I was fully involved in that. People had come over from Rome to ensure that it was done properly and sealed and everything else. And no relics were stolen. No bones were stolen to be sold as relics. And that was the very day my car was wrecked. Uh, and um, that evening, the Evening Herald had um, the the general Rex Father Brian's car, and I came in from lifting the body and having done that. And the girl said to me on the front door of Mount Argus, Evelyn. Um, she said, "She says Father Brian, there's two guys in that front parlor. I'm a, they will not go home without seeing you." And she says, "I'm afraid they don't look good guys to me," uh, and. Uh, I went into the uh, and there were there were there was Martin Cahill and another Martin of whom you're very familiar uh, with him and the two of them were there and um, Martin Cahill said to me he said look at uh, fellow Brian uh, Brian he called me Brian actually he said I, 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 these guys said that I did your car I didn't do your car he said he said you're a, one of our good guys you ha- you already got one of our fellows. Uh, at which I had negotiated uh, a, a man um, um, as a result of the uh, uh, O'Connor's jewellery murder. Uh, and, and, and I had negotiated his freedom uh, with with various groups at that stage. Uh, there had been a shooter in the Phoenix Park and a, another guy was kidnapped and we got him free. And he said, you got you got our guy free. He said, Joe, so we would never touch you. And he said, here's... And he took out a roll of money that would stuff a donkey. And he said, here, get yourself a new car with that. And I had looked at him and I said, I could see the evening Herald picture staring at me the next day. Father Brian gets a new car from the General, which was precisely what I didn't want. And (laughs) and instantly I was inspired to say, Martin. And I looked the two Martins in the eyes and I said, now, listen, come here, guys, did you do my car? And they said, no, we didn't. And I said, well, if you didn't do it, why are you paying for it? I said, I, "I think you did it. If you, if you're, you're convincing me you did it. If you want to pay for it, so they drew back at that stage, and we had a great conversation about what it was like to be uh, uh, guarded by guards." He says, I never had such a time. I can go shopping I'm dead safe because there's guards everywhere. I go out running and there's guards with me. And so they were at that time. They were, uh, so And they were sitting, there were two guards sitting outside uh, at that stage.
1: They were tangoing him, I think, then. Yes. But uh, you know you're in trouble when you have, uh, when the good guy is is Martin Cahill, the general. Um, <laughs> he was that day. But anyway. I, you know, finally, I suppose, fear, like to feel true fear, it is, and from these these people, it is quite paralyzing. And I've often heard people say that they would they're ready to roll over and die with fear because it 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 just paralyzes everything in you. But uh, I always find that if you can understand people, you don't fear them anymore. And maybe if you can get into their head and you can work them out, or if you can just understand things, things aren't as fearful. But with Desi O'Hare, understanding him makes him even scarier because. He, he's, 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 um, there's just such a lack of morals and good in him in, in the character. And when you see that in his 60s, he's still capable of terrorizing people, you know, there's not that many people that are are like that. Well, you know, I'm, I'm
0: you've heard me say before on occasions that I don't think jail is the place for anyone, uh, or, or except psychopaths, you know, or something like that who, who, who simply cannot be free. He got 40 years for doing uh, what he had done to John O'Grady. Uh, but he got out, I think, about less than 20, actually. Uh, so, And I was never happy with that, never, ever happy with that. Neither was John O'Grady, because I still believed, knowing what I did know about him, that he would come and get me. Uh, and I, did, I didn't know where he was. Uh, then I discovered that he was living not that far from where I'm living, uh, um, in the South Armagh region, not, you know, it's an hour's journey from where I am, uh, and and um, I was very upset about that, and you know, I, because for for five or six years, I, I I really lived in in fear that I was going to be attacked uh, by him or his gang, um, um, and I had been asked would I go to see him in prison, and uh, I had agreed to do that, although John O'Grady didn't want me to do it. But I'd agreed to do it, but then he did a ferocious misdemeanor while he was in Port leash uh, and the governor called me and said, no, you're not coming to talk to this guy because nobody's going to talk to him. I could never understand how he got out. I was very disappointed with that, that he had got out of jail uh, at all. Uh, because, you know, I, I, I and, and then I realised that he was still at it. All those years afterwards, he was still at it, hijacking people, terrorising people and 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 still doing it for for money and uh, I I just thought that was horrible I thought at that stage that the, the the remainder of the sentence would have been added to his sentence but I think on some technicality it couldn't be uh, and I still I'm careful talking to you because I know that he's quite capable of listening to what I'm saying to you and using that to take somebody's life afterwards my own preference, I know, at this stage, I'm really the only one left that he can take.
1: And the reality of the situation is that he got seven years in two thousand and nineteen for for the assault of John Roach, and he pleaded guilty to the false imprisonment of Martin Byrne. Yeah. Um. He'll be out in the next three years, mm-hmm. and uh, while he will be a man in his late sixties at that stage, I think there's many people who still remain in fear of him. Oh, absolutely,
0: absolutely. And it's not so much, it's not only him. You know, people of a psychopathic nature seem to attract people of a similar nature. Um, and, you know, he wasn't the one who tried to run me off the road. He wasn't the one who did my car. He wasn't the one who loosened the front wheels uh, of my of my car, They're in the bolts of the front wheel of the car. So there were people out there who, who were working for him still. Uh, um, and... I'm I'm not sure if it's still the same but I'm sure he's well capable of um uh, hiring people you know jail can have the effect of making contacts um with similar type of people and I suspect he he probably did that
1: Well Brian thanks so much for telling that story because I I know it's one that it was always I always found it difficult to wrestle that one out of you but um yeah I'm glad I'm glad you did because uh while it's Terrifying. It's 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 very entertaining at the same time. So. Oh
0: well, I'm glad to hear that because it's, it's, those are not. That's not the whole story, by the way. There, uh, you know, uh, I'm only being able to tell you what is in the public era. Uh, as a priest, I have to have confidentiality, and there are parts of the story which are confidential and will go to the grave with me. Uh, there, there, there are parts of the story probably. A, one or two of them more frightening than what I've told you but they involve other people so I have no right to speak about them
1: well what you've told us is of value and always putting these things on on the record and and, uh, you know letting people know what guys like Desi O'Hare are still like is, is I believe of value to the community and to society at large
0: I hope so thank you Nicola